Hey there, welcome. My name is Jude Gold. You're listening to No Guitar is Safe. And, you know, I'm not really one for uh, sentimental milestones, but I got to say, this is our one-year anniversary episode. 30 episodes in here. Thanks for all your support. It's growing like crazy. That's because I think if you're like me, you like to have a great guitar hang with a great guitar hero. And today is no exception. Actually, I couldn't think of a better guest for our one-year episode. Today, the quintessential professional rock guitarist. Man, when I think of pro rock guitarist, I think of Steve Stevens. Right there, you got Steve on a nylon string, probably a Godin nylon string with the band Juno Reactor. The song is called Pistolero. I have to do some kind of Spanish accent whenever I get a word like that. Just pay respect to the Espanol because I'm here in Southern California. But of course I'm throwing a curveball at you right there because Steve is best known for his rock guitar textures. Specifically his rock guitar textures with Billy Idol with whom he became famous over the decades with several huge hit songs. I really love Steve's playing because, man, he is a burning shredder, but he never has to show that, as you're going to find out. I mean, he came from an acoustic background as a kid playing like Leo Kaki and John Fahey and Reverend Gary Davis and and all this stuff. You're going to hear all about it, how he evolved that into the style that we know as Steve Stevens. And Steve also has some killer solo albums you got to check out, like Memory Crash. And of course, Flamenco a Gogo, which we uh, get into quite a bit. Of course, you can catch Steve Stevens on the road with Billy Idol right now. They're in Canada for a few shows this week. And they have this residency thing that they do in Las Vegas. Super cool like several nights in a row at a time, starting again on August 31st, going into September for several shows, and then in October. This is really worth a trip to Vegas. If you've been thinking about busting the move out to Vegas, go check out Steve and Billy, and they're throwing down in the prime of their careers. Well, so before we get started, real quickly, I got a couple of cool gear stories that uh, mean a lot to me. I want to tell you about a couple of killer gear assists from some of my friends at, at different manufacturers. As a musician, you know, it's hard to get out there on the road. And for me, getting out there also means that we get to do more of these podcasts, like some of them have been from the road, like Joel Hoekstra, Charlie Hunter in New York and New Jersey. Or what else do we got? We had Jeff Pivar up in Delaware. These are all old episodes you can listen to. We had... Uh, we had Mike Scott from Prince, Justin Timberlake in Florida. That's because I'm out there and I go to their houses. And, and one recently, 
couple of manufacturers helped me out a lot. I want to mention them. I uh, did two shows with Kathy Richardson solo, and we got tired of renting a guitar amp for me every night for like 160 bucks or whatever it is. So her guitar tech brought this old cabinet he had lying around, which sounds great, and I brought an Amp One pedal from Blue Guitar. The company's Blue Guitar, B-L-U Guitar, one word. It's founded by the great Thomas Blug, one of my favorite players. I swear to God, he's a wonderful player, strat master. He built this pedal. It's called the Amp One, AMP Number One, and it's a hundred watt, like two or three channel guitar pedal that just fits in your man purse. You know what I'm saying? This thing is like two pounds. It's awesome. Jennifer Batten and Cat Dyson hit me to it, although I had known Tom for a while. I really appreciate that. And get this. On that run, I also did two shows opening for Boston. I was playing with Jefferson Starship. Two nice, fat shows. One of them was actually a hockey arena in Illinois, and that was a thrill. And um, I had a Marshall head and cabinet there, but I just used the Amp 1. I'm just having too much fun with it. You know, I love my Marshalls, and I love my Fender tube heads, but this thing's a cool pedal. It actually has a preamp tube in it as well. Also, you know, we did an amazing show in San Francisco in a tribute, like a celebration of Paul Kantner, who passed away this year earlier on January 28th, founder of Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship. And I'm telling you, you could not fit another body onto Hate Street that day. It was packed humans as far as the eye could see. And I wanted a special guitar for that in addition to like my Strat and other guitars. And uh, Gibson LA here, Gibson Showroom, they lent me this beautiful 59 Les Paul reissue from Gibson Custom Shop that is just a cherry instrument. And I've just been having a thrill of a time playing through that thing. Thanks to Peter Leinheiser and Jennifer Feeney at the Beverly Hills Gibson Guitar Showroom. Wow, that's a great place. A lot of interviews happened there. One time I did a Slash cover story there. Hopefully one of these days we'll get him on the show. You never know because he is, after all, the guy in the No Guitar is Safe logo that you've seen and yes, don't worry, I did put in a request with Tom Scholes, who I've interviewed before for just print articles. And uh, Tom Scholes from Boston got a great picture with him. Hopefully one of these days our paths will cross when he's not so busy. Maybe, you know, who knows? In the meantime, it's time to go over to Steve Stevens' house. He's got this killer home studio. Every time I see a new home studio, like I'm always blown away. They just Each one just blows me away more than the previous. And Steve's. It's just a killer pad. Him and his awesome wife, Josie Stevens, have this wonderful studio on the top floor of a cool-ass building in L.A. And great view just right there, man. And I can't tell you where it is, but it's awesome. And he's just got racks of cool gear. I'm running through... We're kind of going direct. I'm running through um, his uh, Axe Effects on some cool rock patch. I'm playing the Gibson Les Paul. And... Um, I apologize because I tuned it down to E-flat when it's normally standard, so my bends are a little bit <laughs> out the window in a couple of spots. And uh, Steve is playing his nags, one of his nags. Most of his nags are on the road, so he's playing a cool one with F-holes, hollow body, custom guitar, beautiful guitar. And he's playing through his Kemper, which sounds great. Everyone's playing through these Kempers these days, too. Man, I kind of want to get one of those. And when I say it was cool, it was actually, get this, the hottest day of the year in L.A. It was 105, 106 in L.A. It was 122 degrees in Palm Springs, just a couple hours away. So it was kind of hardcore. 
the neighborhood grid actually went down in Steve's neighborhood and came back on just before I got there, which was good. It's funny though, there's a little hum that the SM58 picks up. You know, I'm just running his vocal mic straight into my Zoom, which is running on batteries. So you're just, you know, that's a testament to how good the Zoom is. I mean, and also how good the SM58 is. If you hear that hum in places, it just kind of came on randomly. We did everything we could. We called in pros, but it was seriously just some weird, dirty power because they must have switched the grid for a while. Kind of like, you know, (laughs) emergency conditions in LA. It was so hot. But even on that day, Steve hung out for two hours, and I'm so thankful for that. I asked Steve, man, why did you do this? And he said, man, I just love Guitar Player Magazine, and I'm really appreciative. I appreciate how you guys cover a perfect blend of classic players and brand new modern players. And also, I'm just so thankful that you guys put me on the cover, which we did a few years ago. And gosh, what an honor to have Steve on the cover of Guitar Player Magazine. I can't say enough about this guy and what a killer player he is. And and it's just a thrill to see how he evolved from a seven-year-old playing guitar to this great rock and roller who does so much work with so many people. You know, he was on the Top Gun soundtrack. does so many other sessions it's hard to keep up with we'll talk about some of it here's a guy we could talk to all day but at least we got 90 minutes of one-on-one guitar hang with him hope you enjoy it let's hop in the copter what do you do when you first plug in your guitar like if it's a just got your tone just sitting down right usually it's on uh acoustic really just yeah because i mean these days i'm always trying to write you know with well at least i start the day with the intention i'm gonna write a song today and um so it's usually on acoustic because it's a lot more it's you know you can hear the orchestration and the chords you can find melodies easier on acoustic but when i plug in an electric uh, you know, it's usually, I mean, we've been on the road for almost two years, you know, on and off with Idol now. So uh, I usually will start with, we're trying to throw new material in, um, especially we're doing a Vegas residency. So you have a lot of repeat people. So you want to play a different show each night for them. So we've been digging into like stuff off uh, Whiplash Smile and some of the old Gen X stuff. So if I pick up the guitar I don't have that much time in a sound check, so I'll run through some new yeah. material and and, uh, and make sure my tones are together and stuff, you know. I noticed that we're in E flat. How does Billy now down a half step? I mean, a lot of singers do by the time they're doing. No, unfortunately, I can't get him on board with that. <laughs> you can't. Have, so it's for you. We have yeah, we have one. All of my writing stuff that I do here is usually in E flat with Idol. We've tried it, and because he's a he's you know a tenor which is, you know, for a rock and roll singer is is, a, is in a lower range. So E-flat doesn't sound right for, for idle stuff. Uh, there's only, we had a song called Do Not Stand in the Shadows off Rebel Yell, and it should have been recorded in E-flat because yeah. he's at the top of his range on it, and I suggested 
uh, when we do it live, E flat. Oh yeah, that's that's good. Why didn't we record it like that? Well, his, his voice is holding up really well then. Yeah, exactly. So you starting off with acoustic, that goes back to your roots. But let's say you just plugged in right now. I mean, I just I love hearing this this tone you got and everything. But uh, what, yeah. what do you play when you just pick up an electric? Uh, make sure I'm in tune. <laughs> so I usually start with open open uh, you know open chord. Make sure everything's ringing. Try and get my, my hands used to having a guitar in them, so. And then try and get the right hand going, wake him up. A Yeah. Like, uh, you know, make sure he, he's awake, too. And, he seems and then, awake. Yeah, and then, uh, and then usually I'm all, you know, a lot of stuff is, it's always blues-based, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, as you mature as a guitar player, you try and get more out of each note, you know. that comes with, you know, life experiences and things, and, you, you know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm definitely not as concerned with playing fast as, as I was maybe in the 80s. So, um, you know, I'll usually... Yeah. You know, try and just get my vibrato going. That, that usually is the thing that takes the most amount of time for me is to to get in that headspace of a really get your vibrato well. You know, nice yeah. and singing like a like a vocalist would. Awesome. Yeah, I'm always going back and forth between like Fender scale and like get on a Gibson, and it takes me like weeks to get True. my bends yeah it, from going it, out the window because of the shorter scale it, yeah it does i mean in uh, most of my guitars are gibson scale guitars i mean that's yeah. what i started on with my first electric and uh, and that's just um you know it's just where i'm most yeah. most comfortable yeah well you're holding the most amazing nags here when your signatures I yeah guess. this one is not this is a hollow body this is yeah. um this is a um uh, Chaina, which is their, uh, this was one of the first ones they made for me, and uh, it's a great recording guitar because, uh, you know, the hollow body, it has like a, a resonance to it, obviously. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, most of my touring guitars are on a truck waiting to head out right now, and so uh, they're packed away. So this is a guitar that I always have at home. This has gold foil pickups in it, which is kind of a weird thing I've been experimenting with. They're, they're actually uh, single coil. And, you know, this is like a David Lindley thing, but I've found, I don't know, there's just like a nice kind of open. I mean, it's great. And the, the um, your middle position on this. You know, then it's not a very distorted guitar. It doesn't yeah. have a high output, but uh, but you can really, you know, get some nice. Uh it's a, you know, it's um, 
it, it just has a nice kind of clean but dirty thing yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, it's really and, singing. Man. Yeah, really and even is. though it's bright, even though they're bright pickups, they're sweet bright. You just so. got like three totally different. You got a sick lead tone out of there, and yeah. then you got the kind of bluesy tone, and then you right, got the right, yeah. flutey, um, almost neck sound. Yeah. <laughs> they clean up nice. Yeah. Let's play a little bit, just some warm up. Yeah, man. Hey, what, what kind of a progression or anything or riff or just eight shit. bar blues? This is the hardest part. Twelve bar blues. Or something. Twelve bar blues. <laughs> All right, you go. Too far because it's a gift. to see you just stretching out. You're doing some great stuff there, like putting your oh the fretting, false capo, yeah, the false capo behind your fretting hand. Yeah, just the old. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so, an old trick. <laughs> now, before I go much further, do you have do you have any Steve Stevens picks you can spare? Yeah, sure. Because I'll trade you a Paul Gilbert one. Oh, okay. I love these picks that he gave me. Um, he gave me a bunch of them. Don't worry, it's not my only one. <laughs> But he's really into these super thin ones. Holy shit. Dude, thank you. That's an awesome pick. Who makes your picks? Tortex. That's about the only thing I could do yeah. with this pick. <laughs> Are you using the, yeah, the thin? Yeah, I use a, a 100. But. It's good for yeah. that, though. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said you're... You th- 
Pete Townsend rules, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Still great. Still one of the great writers. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the great rock and roll writers. Yeah. So um, I would love to just kind of hear how a little bit of your life adventure, I know some of it you've told before, but this is a very special group of serious guitar players listening and then they'll right. hear your whole story and everything yeah well and, um, my introduction to guitar is a little bit unique because i started really young so uh you know i was uh seven and a half when i got my first guitar so um which was kind of unheard of back then now you see young kids who are you know like damn good at seven and a half I wasn't that good but I uh, grew up in an area far Rockaway in New York it's kind of like a beach area and our local hero was a protest singer named Phil Oaks and everybody played acoustic guitar back then and it was the days of this is even before like James Taylor and Joni Mitchell that whole Crosby Stills Nash that whole thing this is we're talking Pete Seeger and uh, uh, Woody Guthrie and Phil Oaks protest music and uh, Phil was from Far Rockaway. He was our local hero. <clears throat> and uh, my brother was friends with the family, the, the Oaks family, and Phil's sister was a guitar teacher. And wow. at se- seven and a half, I went and got lessons from her. And then as I got better, uh, some of the local people were taking lessons from um, Reverend Gary Davis, who lived in Jamaica, Queens. So, uh, so I took one lesson with him. And, you know, as I got better, you know, everybody, the whole folk guitar thing was so important then because you had Yorma Cacown and, you know, getting hot tuna together and things like Hesitation Blues and, um, and, uh, and then on acoustic, then you had Leo Kotke arrive and John Fahey, the very first, one of the very first concerts I saw was John Fahey. And um, so I just, you know, I had a real strong, I didn't even want to play electric guitar. That's the thing. Show me some of the stuff that you were playing back then, like this folk stuff you're talking about. Hesitation Blues is kind of... I'm actually going to play acoustic. Oh, sweet. So... Wow, it's really hot. It's like gone crazy too. This was an E. <laughs> yeah, it's, the strings are they're melting like chocolate bars. Wow. Yeah, so probably 30 years but um that's great but uh, yeah it's hesitation blues but then i started you know yeah stuff like that i haven't played that that's great and I mean, then, so, so many people would be, are people surprised when they find out that you're, I mean, you came from that? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't associate that with, uh, yeah. with Billy Idol, that's for sure. But, you know, our biggest success was Eyes Without a Face, which was an acoustic song. So. I was always wondering about that. Like, you yeah. always say it's an acoustic song, but obviously it's a high-level 80s production. It's right. bigger yeah. than big. It's acoustic guitar with... with how uh, did you, How eight, did the song come about? Uh, like one acoustic guitar. All right. Well, I was living in the, in the basement of my parents' house at the time, and I had a, sh- a really shitty little AM radio. So and you wrote this way before. 
what's that? You wrote this way before Idol, or no, no, this is at the time we yeah. were writing for for Rebel right. Yell. Um, oh, okay, so you were still at home. I was still even at though home. You guys yeah. had white wedding out and everything. It, it didn't matter. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> we hadn't recouped. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, you got to so, put the mic up. So yeah, the only um, <clears throat> the only radio station I could get in was an oldies CBS FM, which was a like played like fifties doo-wop and stuff like that, and. Um, so I, uh, I, it was like there's all those kind of progressions in 50s music. Yeah. I gotcha. Right? So I'm like, oh, those are kind of cool. Well, you know, because I always imagine, you know, inevitably people always go, there's a comparison between Billy and Elvis because he's kind of like, and 80, he was for a lot of people their Elvis of the 80s because he was you know he's a tenor and and uh, and he loves Elvis you can hear it in his you can hear Elvis in his voice and um, so I'm like wow it would really be cool to do something like that but not quite as deliberate so I turned the chords around I I, 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 I changed the tempo right down because we had you know a lot of Billy Idol stuff is always 180 BPM in the key of B you know it's, yeah you know, a lot of this we had you know we had already had we had written uh, Rebel Yell and so we kind of so yeah we love B I don't know it's like a thing you know but um, <clears throat> so uh, so I kind of slowed it down and I turned the chords into um, major sevenths and minor seventh and it became this Time. Let's see if I can. Uh, three, four. This is fun too. Beautiful to see where that that came from. So that's yeah. like a standard like '50s kind of uh, chord progression. Did you actually set out like, hey, I'm going to take this and I'm going to do something modern to it? Yeah, exactly. And I walked in, we were in a rehearsal space writing for the album, and I walked in and I, I said, you know, I've got this crazy idea. i got these chords. And Billy kept a, you know, a legal paper, and, and he said, oh, wait a minute, I might have these digs through his knapsack. 
have something. I was writing, you know, Ice Without a Face, you know, was the name of a film, and um, a French film, and a uh, and it just like fit seamlessly. It's one Did of those. Did you write that melody, the vocal melody? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, really yeah, yeah. Nice melody. It almost yeah. sounds like you know show tune or like really beautiful. Yeah, the way I mean, it avoids the roots and. I mean, the guy's got such a vast knowledge of music, and, and it, you know, it's it's he's you know, although he came from that punk rock thing he, he knows more about american rock and roll and uh you know our our great american rock bands than, than just about america any american musician i've worked with so yeah so th- things like that are just symbiotic they're just like they're like, like little little gifts you yeah. go wow it's just synergy of you know things fitting together and that's and, the magic uh, so yeah so the acoustic thing has always been a, a strong a strong thing for me you know now, take us from how you you know got from acoustic guitar playing kid and mm. then adolescent etc on up to you know how you ended up meeting yeah Billy so Adam. um you know i got electric guitar when i was 13 and that was just around the time that uh you know, FM radio was 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 happening with there was a, a station in New York, WNEW. Scott Muni was the was the uh, DJ, and he had a show called Every Friday was Things from England, and for two or three hours he'd play all the English releases. And what was happening then was Yes and Genesis and Emerson Lake and Palmer and all these uh, uh, you know guitarists that were utilizing classical and jazz and and when i when i heard steve howe i just went that's what i want to do i want to be a guitar player that doesn't have just one sound throughout the guitar through through the song um i love these extended compositions and i love the fact that you know he played acoustic and and uh you know roundabout was like you could play it on an acoustic was that the guitar. one that you're talking about the song that it blew your mind? I or? mean, I think that might have been the first thing I heard by them. And yeah. I didn't even realize it was the bass that that was so stunning. You know, I just knew the sound, the production, everything. You know, when you put on headphones, uh, Yes Records just sounded so good, you know. they. And then I realized Eddie Offord was the engineer on Yes and ELP. And, and I just loved the sound and, and the technology that was people were embracing, you know, Emerson with the Moog. And, and I just ate it up. I I ate all that stuff up, and uh, and those progressive guitar players, especially, and Robert Fripp, God, I mean, he was such a huge influence to me to uh, to hear a guy who, you know, was technically great, but musically, the comp- it was all about the compositions, you know, and it was adventurous, and it was, it hadn't become a parody of itself yet, it was si- still exciting, you know. Yeah, so I, I gravitate. see some Robert Fripp in you too, like it, those cool sounds and ear candy and. Well, his sense of me- mechanics, you know, he's like a math guy, you know. His his, and his guitar parts aren't the central thing of his compositions. He's not selfish that way, um, which taught me. And most of those guitar players are not selfish. They really play to the benefit of the composition. What's a good example with Fripp? Um, let's see, what would be... Uh, I think I fell in love with him with uh, David Bowie fashion. Oh, you know, yeah. Part- you know, I mean, it's locks, tongue, and aspect.
all those kind of dissonant things. Um, there was one thing that he did. I can't play it for shit now, but Fracture was one of uh, What was yeah. the one uh, schizoid man? Something like that. I don't know, but it was just yeah. you know, those were those his style and his picking, and that was the thing that I realized with like having a good right hand technique was very important, as opposed to, I mean, I, I have smaller hands, so a number one, I had to develop my pinky, you know, and I'd go see guitar players, and they were all, you know, not I can't even play yeah. without my pinky. Right. So I realized use all of those four fingers, make use of them, and also. Um, you know, obviously, learning Steve Howe stuff, his his right hand picking thing is very very Chet Atkins based. Um, you know, so I kind of went, oh, I see. I need to not just hammer the notes, but I need to pick the notes as well. You know. Now, can you play without your black nail polish, or is that part of the tone? I, I don't know. These help. These are like gels. My my nails crack off for some reason without these. But and but you they, use your they, you use your nails a lot on the on the plucking end. I do. Yeah. yeah. It's, especially if I'm you know if I'm doing like yeah. uh, Rebel Yell. You know, that's like a, it just, it doesn't, if I don't have the nail, it it sounds, it's like, that's interesting. So all this time, I mean, I've always, I've played in cover band, but I've never used the nails on there. Using the nails. That makes all the difference. I suck. (laughs) I can't do it without it. It just gives it more of a percussive thing, you know? It's like a... Yeah, yeah. And that, you were that, you were saying that came from some of the uh, the Leo Kaki influence. Exactly. Or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the same thing with the. Uh, uh, there's an old blues thing, and I don't. It might have been John yeah. Fain, but it's a very rudimentary idea of of that, and it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's, it, so I heard that. And then, you know, all of the, um, there's a lot of Keith Emerson things where he would keep a stagnant right-hand figure um, and then, all you know, and an independent bass line. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. You know, that stagnant yeah. uh, soprano against the, and then I started to, you know. You know, there's all little uh, exercises you can do like yeah, that. You're stuff. pretty good at doing that with the, your pick between your yeah, plucking hands, it, index, it, and yeah. middle finger. <laughs> it just kind of kind of fits in there. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, anyone who's not familiar with all of your solo stuff would be kind of impressed at your right-hand technique. Like, you really are a monster picker. Uh, yeah. Like, maybe let's listen to... Uh, you know, dementia. And where was that recorded? What's the story behind that? This is on your uh, Agogo album. Right, Flamenco yeah, that Agogo. was recorded. I worked for two years in Japan with a big Japanese uh, singer named Himuro. Yeah. And when I met him, I got a call to, to to play on his record. And then I realized that he was in a big Japanese band named Bowie. And he had a long career. We both were born the same year. And there was a lot of parallels between him. I guess he's kind of like the John Bon Jovi of, of Japan, has had a long career but also similar to Billy Idol was in an ex- a band and then went solo and 
his career got bigger. <clears throat> but uh, I spent three, for two years, I spent three months of the year in Japan, and I just, I, was, I loved it. I just love, I love the country and uh, everything about it. I was just happy to, uh, yeah. to uh, kind of get away from America for a while and just go somewhere else, you know, just, and it was a, you know, it was a Japanese band. And um, so, so I was given my solo spot and, and I'd been starting to do my solo, nylon string solo live with Vince Neil because we were opening for Van Halen. And come on, any guitar player that's going to open for Van Halen and wants to do an electric guitar solo is, you got to have your head examined. You know who I saw <laughs> do that? Randy Bachman from Bachman, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Oh, did he? Opened. It was like and he did an, a good. It was like Van Hagar era. Yeah, right. He got a drumstick out. Was playing a big <laughs> solo where he played for. <laughs> I was like, you go, Captain Impressa. <laughs> right. You're going to do well, that I didn't at a have Van the balls. show. I didn't have the balls to do that because I knew in an hour and a half eruption was coming, you know. So uh, you can hold your own, so man. So I said, I said, you know, what am I going to do as a solo for a solo thing that's totally different than Eddie Van Halen? And I did my, my classical solo, and that kind of extended into the live recording with Himero. And, uh, and I was allowed to I used that on my um, Flamenco Go-Go oh, record. Beautiful. Let's listen yeah. to that for a second here. What guitar are you using on this um, I had already gotten together with Godin. I was looking for a good nylon guitar uh, that wouldn't feed back live. And then Godin said, oh, yeah, not only that, but we have one that tracks MIDI. And I was like, oh, great. And I've been with that company now, oh, well over 20 years. And um, and their, their acoustic guitars for live, they're just unbeatable. I just love them. And they're, awesome. they're great people and, you know, so supportive. Well, in flamenco, a go-go too. I hear a lot of uh, cool synth things come in, and I imagine some of those are the Godin rig. Yeah, exactly. All of the synth stuff, and th that record was recorded without any uh, Pro Tools or anything. No software. It was all done uh, on on little Tascam, like uh, D88 tapes, and, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, like for having to fly those machines in and stuff. It was. It took a lot of work to get that record together. Uh, so beautiful. A lot. I mean. Uh, it's really a great guitar album, man. Well, the, the way that came about was uh, <clears throat> I'd come, come off the road with Vince Neil, and, you know, it was the height of debauchery. And, you know, where are you going to take, you know, it, I couldn't play any louder on electric guitar. I couldn't play any faster. It was all about that whole, you know. Sonic debauchery, sound-wise. Yeah, not, yeah. not other forms, right? Just, a little, maybe a little bit. Oh. But. <laughs> <laughs> so and we you know we were out with Van Halen and Ed's a friend of mine so you know we had a good old time and uh, and I got off the road and I said I gotta regroup I gotta figure you know I gotta do something that's gonna bring me back to my love of the instrument and I kind of I had tickets to go see Paco de Lucia at the Wilton Theater and I saw 3,000 people women crying over his compositions and going you know dancing in the aisles and I went that's what being a musician is about is really um, being technically amazing, blindingly proficient.
but still entertaining people and playing with melody and soul. <clears throat> you know, that's that, that's the, the thing for me, which is very important. And connecting with people who aren't necessarily music nerds. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I learned that uh, fast and, 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 and hard with, with Billy Idol because, uh, you know, you, there is no better feeling in the world than playing in front of, you know, a large amount of people and they know your guitar solo and they can sing it and they anticipate it when you go into it rather than, you know, you, you playing blindingly all this stuff and they go, yeah, that's really good, but you haven't, you haven't enriched them yet, you know? And I love, I, man, I listen to Alan Holsworth and all the shred guys and Guthrie Govan and I appreciate all of these amazingly gifted guitar players, but, but um, my job has always been, I've worked, I've been, so blessed to work with so many great singers Michael Jackson Robert Palmer Johnny Mitchell Billy I, I mean it's just you name it I've worked with them and the thing that they always want is is for you to better their song they don't really I'm not being hired to play a great guitar yeah. solo very rarely have I ever been hired to just do a guitar solo and even with Top Gun it was it was a structured melody and that melody is so strong nobody you know really remembers a guitar solo part of it they like it but they everybody knows you know uh. you know that's yeah, that's, that's what they know a monster solo on it it does but you know and and we worked hard on it but it's let's that listen, melody let's listen to that for a second that solo Solo, you do this cool. You know what I'm about? Oh right, that yeah. That's a Robert Fripp influence. You know, yeah. that's always the. Uh, he plays five against four really yeah. well. You know, and he and when he put Crimson back together uh, in the '80s with Adrian Ballou, he really figured out a new way of. Uh, uh, reinventing the band and reinventing his yeah. his style, and um, one of the best concerts I, I've ever seen was King Crimson uh, at the Savoy in New York. And I, when I met Adrian Ballou, I said I saw you guys, and it was one, an incredible show at the Savoy in New York. He said, "You know what? That was probably the best show we ever played." You were there, yeah, and I was uh, I was okay. very fortunate to be there. Yeah. All right, so we have just gone and covered. We went in so many different incredible <laughs> directions so that we're going to have to go back and revisit a lot of this stuff. Like, for example, yeah, touring with Van Halen. I don't yeah. think we. <laughs> what's the craziest thing that ever happened on one of those gigs? On either. Vince opening, Vince Neal, or you, that you saw go on during the Van Halen set. It, well, it, those guys were so focused on that tour. It was like a well-oiled machine. This was with the Sammy Hager era. And um, it was with, you know, Pound Cake and all that kind of stuff. And the, the band was just, every night I'd watch them uh, from the side stage, and it just floored me how good they were. And how, the, the thing that amazed me was how low their stage volume was. What? Yeah. They were 
not it was really really quiet on stage and I went wow that's a really controlled band because they went through years of you know being just being blistering volume and it was very controlled and you could hear the vocals perfectly on stage and uh, and I took that approach back when uh, when I went back and worked with Billy Idol because we used to play blistering volume and now we're, we're all on in ears and and we were much better band for it we're much tighter for that reason and uh, so I learned ah you can be powerful without like killing yourselves up there uh, but as far as you know the craziest thing wasn't you know wasn't really mm wasn't uh let me th- i don't i don't know if i can remember all that stuff <laughs> right i mean the billy idol when billy idol's career really hit that was crazy times really really crazy like the first album or rebel yell the first album we were still playing clubs people don't realize that like right. white wedding was it now they look at it and that album consequentially went platinum double platinum but when it was released white wedding made it to like number 40 in the charts and the album didn't sell that much after rebel yell than the back catalog did well, but when Rebel Yell happened, when it hit, um, it was it bo- it brought out both the best in people and the worst in people. And how so? The 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 best was, um, you know, like I said, people knowing every note that you've played on a record and and playing to you know. You know, we started that tour at, at, at playing uh, the Brooklyn Zoo in New York, which was only held, I don't know, 500, 600 people. And then by the time uh, we made it to California, we were doing like Santa Monica Civic and then uh, the Forum. And when we returned to New York, we played Nassau Coliseum. And so we didn't really realize what was happening because we were working. But we started to realize that the gigs were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and... and uh, hotels were getting better and um it's just you know when that first happens for you the for the first time in your career it's it's uh it's incredible and to see how much your music and that's carried through this day means to people um that they they you're enriching their lives but also brought out the best the worst in people in that uh this was the time of the pmrc and and i remember we played in Texas, I think it was Corpus Christi, and they were picketing outside, and they were handing out these flyers comparing Billy to all these other dead rock stars saying he should be in that same group. Like, almost inciting some lunatic to go and shoot him or something. Damn. And, uh, what was the PMRC? That was the parents music you know they wanted to label the Tipper albums Gore and all yeah Tipper stuff. Gore yeah and what she didn't realize is it was the, if you could get that yeah. sticker on your record you were guaranteed more yeah. sales it's like you want to see a G-rated movie you're yeah. like oh it's rated G I mean that's the first thing kids want to do is do the exact thing that's going to piss off their parents so, yeah you know it's uh, yeah, we, we tried to get that sticker so yeah like I said you know it brought out the best and the worst in people and, and uh, yeah and um you know and but but uh yeah i mean you know some amazing times during that whole that whole period was just unbelievable now what are some of the the solos that you do that people really sing would you say rebel yell is like, one that solo is kind of a bluesy solo yeah and it's and it's it's uh, uh, there's certain aspects of it that are you know um What's, you know, a lot. The yeah. opening thing I knew I had to do Chuck Berry because Billy Idol wouldn't go for it if I if I started <laughs> out going, you know, some great. So so the opening thing I knew I knew I was in good territory if I started with a sort of Chuck Berry thing on on steroids. You know, all right, you know, but then because you've got this, you know, 
I wanted to go somewhere outside of that, so. I, I, I love that be, line. Because it's, it's suggesting it in the chords. You know, it's almost, almost yeah. like uh, if people have heard Town Without Pity or any of those things. Yeah. It's, it's got a bit of that kind of... Um, it's it's it just makes you feel certain sadness in there, and then um, the, the, my little tip of the hat to uh, to Steve Howe is, which is I recognize that song. the Sunrise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there in uh, uh, F uh, yeah. G sharp. So then, yeah. So that's keeps so, going. So yeah. So so I knew if I keep playing this kind of uh, pattern, um, over you know over three octaves. Okay, that's a cool thing. People will remember that. Um, there's that little bit, and then the other thing was. <clears throat> You know, I kept saying that it, it, we knew we knew we had a winner in this song. I mean, there was no, there's no mystery when you make a winning record. You just feel it. You go, yeah, this is a good one. You know, everything just fell into place. The right drummer, right bass player, right compositions, and Rebel Yell was the one. And and I came and I said, it's, there's got to be something more than just a guitar solo. And I sat with our producer and I played him uh, the Billy Cobham. Um, uh, Spectrum album yeah and on uh, I think it's Stratus or Quadrant 4 Tommy Bolin who's a guitar player that does this crazy thing with the Echoplex where he lets it uh, oscillate and feedback and then he takes the tape head and brings it down so you get this you know kind of like To me, it sounded like a ray gun, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to rip Tommy Bolin off. That's his thing, you know? And I'm sitting at home, my parents' basement once again, and I had started to collect these tin toys and toy ray guns and things from Japan and, and Hong Kong. And, and I'm sitting, and I'm like, got the guitar on through a little amp, and I pick up one of these toy ray guns, and, it, and it, lo and behold, it plays through the pickups of the guitar. I came in the next day, and I said, punch me in there <laughs> and um and i realized if i do it and i add echo to it and then we added i had at that time the only delay i had was a lexicon pcm 41 so uh we kind of punched in uh two spots on there and we said we don't know what it is but it sounds great And those guys were really happy because it was something more than just a guitar solo at that point. So was it ever done with just the Lexicon PCM? Or I think was it always the Raygun and the... It was the Raygun and it on tour. Uh, I didn't have ray guns to, to, to bring yeah. with me, so I just would hit a harmonic and let the Lexicon do, do its thing. Just 
turn but the lights yeah. on for that. Yeah, exactly. One and bar, I think. That's it. That's it. Now, yeah. Is that how you do it nowadays? Still? No, I, I do it with the ray gun. I've seen you do that, but yeah, how, yeah. how do you just go back and forth between doing the crazy solo and then operating the toy? All right, here's show business now. Billy Idol hands me the ray gun now. <laughs> I've seen, yeah, I have seen that. So we've and, made, but even then, yeah. just that little back and forth. Yeah, well, the, the note can, can, can delay. I've got something here. You can kind of. This is a thing that was made in the in the eighties. It's called a sound gizmo, and and it's got. Uh, let's see here. That's kind of the yeah. sound that I get. So you kind of. So. Um, That's awesome. You know, if you, you add delay and things like that too, you know, it sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Well, maybe can we let's play that solo. I think I can play the rhythm, probably. Yeah, it's just. To me, that whole song is one of the greatest rock guitar parts of radio history. Oh, I, I, thanks, I, I, man. I mean, like the rhythm parts you're doing on there. Yeah, the thing is, the, 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 I never, I'm, I'm kind of I'm showing you this bass line, but I yeah. never play that on guitar. Yeah, I know. Because it's... Uh, So first of all, let's stop right there, and we'll listen to that. I love there's a you guys added some echo, gang, 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 for that one awesome. little. Thing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And what happened? How did you do that? You just threw in this producer? Or? No, I mean this. You know, we 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 recorded that record in Electric Lady Studios in New York, and, and it was the it was incredibly inspiring, and. Uh, you know, it's the studio that Jimi Hendrix built. So, and we had lockout. We had the studio. I could work if I wanted to stay there and sleep there all night. And 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 and, and we were very determined to make a great record and to uh, do whatever it took. So, um, and I was also if I if I didn't come up with inventive guitar parts and sounds, keyboards were going to go there. And I was damn sure <laughs> that I didn't want keyboards on there. They were okay to pad things out and to do little embellishments, uh, you know, at the beginning of Rebel. Yeah, there's... That's a keyboard, right? But right. The, all of the stuff right. like the... Yeah. That's all guitar stuff. And, they, you know... I love all this stuff. Now, we'll get to that. Um, you Like, on the chorus, you're... So the chorus is basically... So, so, what's, this is so bluesy with yeah. over the A and the bass. Well, what's happening is I wanted to keep this stagnant soprano note, yeah. which is F sharp, right? So yeah. every chord I'm playing yeah. has F sharp as its top note. Yeah. 
is based is G major seventh yeah. there, which you wouldn't think would work, but because I'm not playing a full voice, I'm allowing the bass to play the bottom. Right. So and the guitar sound is not that distorted, so you can still make up make out the structure. So um, you know, and that comes from you know arrangement, guitar arrangement. Jimmy Page is so so amazing at making. Yeah three instruments sound like an orchestra and you listen to Led Zeppelin you go well there's only really one guitar part is you know the, the good Led Zeppelin stuff is really basically three instruments but what makes it sound big is the arrangement you know the, the way yeah. that between Page and, and John Paul Jones they're creating chord structures yeah. that should work but shouldn't sometimes and that's why they're Led Zeppelin and then you put Bonham and Plant in there and it's history you know well, uh, yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we leave this topic, let's listen to this for a second. What are we hearing here? Um, yeah, I was before I met Billy Idol. I was in a band uh, uh, in New York called the Fine Malibus, and it was me, myself, uh, my singer Ray who was in a cover band with me and a bunch of guys who were army brats from Clarksville, Tennessee. And the, uh, the bass player's dad actually was the talent coordinator at the 101st Airborne and uh, helped Jimi Hendrix play talent shows while he was in the, uh, in the uh, service. And, um, wow. and we were a band that was like a mishmash. We didn't really know... <laughs> much about songwriting or any of this stuff but it was a really great formative uh, experience for me to live in Manhattan we lived in a rundown loft in a music building and Cindy Lauper lived there and uh, a lot of punk rock bands rehearsed there the dead boys were, were below us and uh, um but it was such a great training ground for us because we, we in our in our loft we could rehearse every day, and we eventually got a record deal with Island Records and Jimmy Miller, the producer of the Rolling Stones, uh, brought us down to uh, Compass Point in the Bahamas, and and we proceeded to blow it. <laughs> but um, but some of those germs of guitar ideas are on the original demos which I've uploaded on my uh, SoundCloud um, account. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, things like like the intro to Rebel Yell, you know, those have been kicking around for a while. And, well, it's uh, amazing to hear the how much it evolved from oh, the yeah. Malibus to yeah, yeah. Idol. Well, that's you know that was the thing. The, at the end of the Malibu's uh, existence, we got picked up by Bill Coin, uh, who was the manager of Kiss, and I and uh, and we couldn't get a deal. And I said, look, I you know this is not you know I had a meeting with with Bill. I said this is not going to happen, is it? And he go, no. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to look for new musicians. And they continued to manage me. And I placed an ad in the Village Voice saying, guitarist looking for everyone, you know, looking for every other musician. And, um, and I started to meet with people. And, and then I got a call from a coin saying, do you know who Billy Idol is? And I was kind of familiar with, uh, with some of this stuff. But by then, dancing with myself, the Generation X song was uh, a club hit at that time and I went oh yeah I know and he goes well we're managing him and he's moved to New York and you guys should meet and it wasn't love at first sight (laughs) because I was not a punk rock guitar player Um, but once his producer Keith Forsey came into New York and we all met 
Keith said to Billy, look, you've done three records with a punk rock band. You've traveled across the ocean to start your own career. Why do you want a guitar player who's going to be a punk rock guy who you're going to have to push all the time? It's better to have someone who maybe has more capabilities and hold them back and say, no, don't play all those notes, but has the capability to play anything that we would require and that's the way I've always approached my music you know um, and and working with other musicians I work with drummers who can play jazz and fusion and all that and but you want somebody who's got I always wanted to have this is what I always say I don't want my technique to ever hinder an idea in my head so if I go wow I want to play some flash guitar thing there I always want to have the capability to do it but not do it to the point where people are getting bored of it or it goes over the heads of of the average listener you know technique is amazing to have but you got to use it as your secret weapon you know and that's what we did with with billy idol you know and i realize i've always been a strong proponent of rhythm guitar it's the rhythm guitar that's and the 90 percent of my job with billy idol is rhythm guitar stuff yeah, and guitar players who are making money, they're playing rhythm guitar 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you want a career, uh, you know, and there's very few guitar players who have, who have mapped out a career playing instrumental music, and, and those guys are the best of the best. Right. Uh, you know, Vi Satriani and, and obviously Jeff Beck is, is the penultimate. But, <clears throat> but uh, there are few and far between guys who can who can have a career doing that but there's a lot of working musicians out there guys who and that to me is who get to travel the world uh that's to me a success if you can pay your bills travel the world uh and and have a long career i mean i'm so fortunate 35 years with the same guy come on that's pretty unheard of you guys are a team man yeah peanut butter and jelly yeah you know (laughs) i do value that and uh and um and 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 yeah, sometimes I I'll have a different idea or something, but you got to respect the people you work with, you know. And I respect yeah. him so much, and and uh, and and uh, and how how he helped me develop a guitar style that I probably ordinarily wouldn't have come by, you know. Is uh, I, I'm grateful for it. Before one last question, I've always wanted to see this in person. I can't believe maybe I can maybe see it in front of my face. <laughs> what? Uh oh, I'm gonna fuck it up. Right. Yeah. That line. Now, you, to me, when I first heard that, you know, I'm a little younger, twelve, thirteen. Like, right. That's yeah. a beautiful yeah. synth line. Yeah. Yeah. I can play a little bit right here. Yeah. I sell my soul. But you're telling me you did that with a rat pedal right, that's and right. a boss octaver. Can you that's play right, that line yeah. for me for a second? Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, we, we plugged the guitar DI. This is kind of a, it's a bit of a Robert Fripp kind of influence thing. And what I would do is... Uh, when you plug the guitar DI, you get that really pure tone, and we use the rat and the octave things on it, and some delay. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so plugged into to a, a direct thing. Get that it, neck pickup it, happening. It sounds like a like a synth that way, and. Uh, there's a there's one of those frip things. Yeah. 
And he does that on uh, on um, Scary Monsters with David Bowie. You know, he gets that kind of. He used a, a, a Burns buzz around pedal. Wow. And, uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, I love that about Fripp that he got that violin kind of tone with a fuzz box, and you know, it's yeah. the neck pickup with the. You know, it's kind yeah. of. Um, you know, it's not that different than uh, no, the Clapton yeah. thing of. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's I was going to say, I think your vibrato's warmed up here. It's, <laughs> it's really a, good. You know, it's the same sound, but different guitar guitar player and different. Yeah. You know, Clapton's very good at, you know, getting the... Yeah. It seems like you kind of revisited that tone on the postcard... From the uh, what postcard from the edge? Oh, uh, from the past. Yeah, postcards from the past. A little naturally. bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we, we hinted at at some of those things. I mean, we didn't want to rip ourselves off on 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 the, that record, but um, we were. Yes, yeah, Trevor Horn. Yes, Trevor Horn, and we were the last. Trevor Horn's the brilliant producer of Seal and Nine O. 210 yes record and, and <clears throat> I mean I mean for me to work with the guy who worked with yes and is a yes fan and uh, but the studio which is we were the last act in that studio in London is SARM um, which is now condominiums it's kind of it's the way a lot of big studios are, are going the way of but that is the it was Island Studios which is where uh, uh, a lot of uh, well Stairway to Heaven guitar was done and all the early Genesis records Traffic Blind Faith um, Bob Marley and there's you know I mean I love having a home studio and doing all this stuff but when you walk into some place that's almost you can feel that these records were done there and it was really inspiring to work with Trevor and to be in that environment and um, the whole record was you know I was only over in London for 10 days it was all done which for a Billy Idol record is unheard of you know so uh, it was a really great experience what was it what was it like when you finally did meet Billy and he's sitting here he's used to having a punk rock guitar player and he's like who's this guy that right the industry brought in right yeah is he does he have street cred right is Steve guy right how did that go um <clears throat> well here, here's I knew every musician in Manhattan at the time and I was smart enough to say that even if I'm not going to be a guitar player I'll help you find musicians and then when it comes time to consider guitar players go ahead audition whoever you want just consider me and so lo and behold I'm with him we're getting used to knowing each other's personality and the thing that that bonded us uh, I gotta preface this with saying that I auditioned before I met Billy I auditioned for Ian Hunter from Mata Hoople and I didn't get the gig because I looked like Ian's grandkid you know he, well that's what he said to me you can't be in a band you make me look really much older <laughs> so but uh but Ian Hunter had produced the second Generation X record, and evidently Ian called Billy Idol when he moved to New York and said, there's this guitar player that I auditioned. You should get him. He's the guy. So I got to thank Ian for that. Um, 
And then the thing that bonded Billy and I was Lou Reed music, because in my cover band, we did, we were a mishmash, a gumbo of everything. We did everything from, from close to the edge to, uh, to um, Vicious by Lou Reed. Our keyboard player loved Lou Reed. And, and so we do every Beatles, Lou Reed, all this Mata Hoople. And so Billy said, yeah, I love Lou Reed. You know, I love that New York kind of, that era of Velvet Underground Lou Reed. And I knew all that stuff. And I knew all the Bowie stuff. I loved, you know, the, the glam stuff, the English. I was just a fan. I was more of a fan of English rock and roll than any English guitar player could be. It's like these English guys are fans of American blues players well I loved their pop rock stuff so we sat down and I played we played Coney Island Baby I knew the solo and he went oh blind you know that and I went yeah I go it's see guitar players we don't look at it as you know political upheaval unless you're Tom Morello but but we just play we just want to play guitar and, and um, you know punk rock in England was what I, what I came to to learn is that it, you know it was so tied to a political uh, you know, people really didn't have much. There really was no future for the for the youth, and they were fed up with all these kind of bloated rock stars. <clears throat> with, right. with you know Mercedes, uh, with uh, you know Rolls Royce and mansions and all this, and these kids, you know, didn't have pot to piss in. So I get it. We didn't have that experience in the states. The Ramones, to me, were just a great rock and roll band out of New York. You know, they had to me they sounded a bit like the Stooges and all these other groups. And were and, they from Rockway? Um, no, no, they were really. from Forest Hills, most of them, which is the next Queensboro over. But we didn't look at them like a, some social thing. It was just, you know, guys who played really fast. You know, to me, they it sounded like they listened to Communication Breakdown and made a whole record of that, you know. Yeah. But, um, but I loved them, you know. I mean, but it wasn't like them against the established guitar music. You know, I know they didn't like Journey and things like that. And we got that, you know, they were against the corporate rock thing. But... I didn't, you know, guitar players just want to play good guitar, you know. So finally, when I played the the, uh, you know, the Lou Reed stuff with Billy, he went, "Oh, I see. Okay, you do get, you know, the good stuff about rock and roll." So we found common ground in that. Yeah. What's that guy like? I mean, we all know his exterior, but he's kind of private, or I don't know. It's hard to get a feel for what Billy's really like when you're hanging um, out with him year after year on the road. Well, the thing I've noticed about English. Singers, I've worked with a lot of them. They're all incredible history buffs. They, Billy, I don't know, is more about American history than I could even imagine to know. I mean, he's just a massive his, history buff and is really... English guys, they're smart, you know? They're not knuckleheads. It's not all about partying. It's, it's you know, he's a really bright guy. And, um, and uh, you know, he's... Uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, the, 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 the bottom line is when you get on stage and you look over at your singer and he's doing the business and, and you know, and he's 60 years old and women are still throwing panties at him. You go, there's something going on here, you know, and that's the uh, ultimate barometer. It, and, you know, and he sings better than he ever did. And he still loves music and 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 um, and he still loves doing what we do, you know, because a lot of guys kind of lose the passion for it. Even guitar players I know, you know, it's about paying the mortgage. And I'd hate to be that guy that didn't, you know. I mean, that's that's why I love, you know, when I see interviews with like um, uh, like Paul Gilbert as an example. You know, that guy 
loves playing guitar. That is the thing that he loves more than anything in the in the world. He and, sure does. And he's never lost that passion for it, and still wants to educate other people about what he does. And uh, and that's uh, that's what I love about guitar players when you see that, and they could play entirely different than you. But I respect that rather than the guys who are just like you know doing it for the cash or whatever you know yeah it's hard to imagine for you know 99.9999 percent of the guitar players it's hard to imagine being jaded about making money yeah being in a huge successful band yeah exactly i mean you want it it's 105 degrees out and there's guys working on this building there you want to try doing that for for a living you know (laughs) doing this is pretty fucking easy you know i i I am not complaining (laughs) you know yeah well you definitely remind me of paul and you oh great in terms of uh your love for just constantly i I love seeing his interviews he's so uh, you know, I learned something from it, and 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 he can shred like nobody's business. But when he tears into playing something by the Who, he he attacks the guitar like a guitar player, like like Townsend could attack the guitar, and uh, and he understands the full gamut of playing guitar. Uh, you know, I really appreciate his songs. Him. He's really into songs, just yeah. like you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's really entertaining too. You know, it's yeah. it's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, he's hilarious. Good. So, uh, well, that's cool, man. I, I, do you guys ever get to hang out much? Uh, never even met him. Oh, no. dude, we got to fix that. You yeah, never met him. There's a, yeah, there's a number of guitar players that, that uh, I mean, most of the guys in L.A. I, I, I work with, I play in a cover band as well. And we've, you know, I mean, can't count the amount of times I've gotten to play with, like, Billy Gibbons and, you know, a lot of my, my heroes. And, and uh, it's just incredible. I mean, nobody plays guitar like Billy Gibbons. And once again, you know, when you play with Billy Gibbons and you do his Easy Top song, everybody knows those solos. And that once again cements the idea, play stuff people can remember. And, you know, talk about less is more, you know. And, and the guy's toured with Jeff Beck, and, and he's never in competition with anyone else. He just wants to be Billy Gibbons. And, uh, and that's, you know, from him to, to playing with Steve Jones, there's nobody that attacks the rhythm guitar like Steve Jones you know he's guested when we have him guest and we play uh dancing with, my, with myself who he's the he's the guitar player on that recording that's a great guitar part and and he's up there playing it it sounds like the record and you go that's why he's Steve Jones and I can appreciate him as How do well you play as it? you know oh you know it's really it's really simple i mean But the thing is, when you go to the verse, you play it up there to get more of the ring. Interesting, you jump up to the third string, so then you can get the first and second And that only works under the vocal that way, and you kind of lay off the... You know, and then... I mean, that's about as punk rock guitar as you can get. Kemper uh, sounding good today, man. Yeah. Sorry about that buzz, but yeah. And then you get a little bit of... That's the Eddie Cochran influence in punk rock that I, I love that stuff. Oh, really? you know? Well, you've, yeah, you've sat in... Well, you, you jam with Eddie Van Halen at NAMM, right? I did, yeah. yeah. Now, you're talking about not wanting to, like, yeah. I mean, the intimidation of opening for him. What's it like playing with him side by side? I'm sure well, you hold your own just fine. Well... <laughs> 
I, little did I know that, you know, I've always respected Van Halen. I love the records, and, and, and you know, he's one of those, I mean, you, there's not enough that can be said about him and what, what he's done for guitar and music. So, but little did I know that he was trying, his wife, Valerie, at the time, was trying to get him sober. So I show up at his house, you know, I got the limo, and I bring two bottles of champagne. I'm like, I'm going to meet Eddie Van Halen. Hey! And she looks at me and goes, oh, no. You know, I'm, she knew this was trouble, you know? <laughs> wow. So, but his dad had passed away quite uh, soon before I met him. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he hadn't played live uh Yet and at the Nam show, um, he shared some very intimate things about how he felt about his dad um, right before we went on, and uh, and I fell in love with the guy. I went, you know, you know, he's just grieving over his dad like anybody else, and and uh, and uh, you know, I just he connected with me on on a human level beyond guitar playing, you know, because um, my dad was a. a big proponent of me playing guitar and exposed me to such great things and and uh and and obviously ed had that same thing with his dad so we, we kind of shared that and then uh, but i never you know it was never i play my style he plays his style and we you know we we just are two guys who play guitar but what was the situation what, what manufacturer had you guys <clears throat> I don't even remember. PV or something? Or? Oh, no, this is before. This is, he was playing Kramer's, I believe, oh, okay. yeah. So I don't remember what the, what the uh, I don't know. I know Tim Bogart was the bass player, so we did some, some uh, uh, we did uh, some Beck Bogart and Apicy things. And, um, but, um, but then, you know, our paths crossed uh, so many times. And then, you know, when I got to work with Michael Jackson, I, I called Ed about it and said, all right, what do I do? And the first thing I asked him is, what did you charge? <laughs> and Zero? he said, and, yeah, and I said, uh, to, do the, to do Beat It. And he said, I didn't charge anything. He said, what, what am I going to ask for? And I guess everybody, I said, Roth, you know, got, said, what are you, crazy man? You know, you should have got points on the record. You know, Ed's like. You know, I just, you know, I did a session, man, you know. And so I followed the same suit. I thought, well, that's, you know, and I, and, and uh, just, you know, you can't buy what being on a Michael Jackson record and a video in the 80s can do for your career. There's no money you can put on that, you know. Well, you know, just was beyond. That's quite a moment. Was Quincy in the room? Or? Yeah, yeah. It was, well, it was the team of... Quincy, Bruce Sweden, the engineer who did all those records, and Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Were you still in New York? At, you must have been. I was living in New York, and I, I, I flew out to, uh, to do that session. Yeah. 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 So that was a... I mean, you've been here, what, 15 years in L.A. or something? Over 20. Yeah, over 20. Over 20, yeah. But for, you, you held out for a while. You put up the good fight until <laughs> yeah. L.A. sucks people in. <laughs> I didn't plan on moving here. I, you know, I, I came out to reconnect with Billy Idol. And, uh, and originally I was staying in a hotel. Then I went to a residential hotel. And then uh, I ended up uh, staying. There, you know, the record was taking longer. And then he got shuffled between Chrysalis Folded and Capital. And then I was ah, you know. And I started to meet all, my, all the musicians I knew that had kind of gotten their act together were living out here. So... Yeah. Interesting, man. So you have so much good stuff. I love um, the title track of Memory Crash. Oh, yeah, yeah. Warning. 
right before the guitar solo those drums are chopped and quantized to get that feel yeah I mean yeah. for half a second I wondered if they were not real drums they're but real drums I'm but they fills, are I'm like no that's yeah. real but yeah. that's interesting you should say that yeah they're real but they're they're moved yeah, it's slightly <laughs> yeah. electronic feel right that's what we were going for the rest of the rest of the song is not but just at that moment I thought it's gotta be nuts tight you know it's 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 gotta feel like a certain way so yeah uh. Great stuff on that record. Great stuff on Flamenco yeah. at Go-Go. Yeah, you know, I've started to... I actually just did a Flamenco show with uh, Ben Woods is a guitar player. Yeah, for, He's amazing. He does... If people want to look, there's a YouTube video of his uh, Flamenco version of Rebel Yell, which is incredible. Um, so I've just done some shows with him, and uh, that's always good for me. I mean, come on, I've been playing this instrument for so long, and, and if I get the opportunity to do a different style, it keeps me... Um, keeps you know puts puts juice in yeah. the tank you know yeah yeah and i don't know if this is back to that frip thing but like when i hear you doing the flamenco stuff like on the album flamenco go go you, you definitely do this like four note pattern sometimes so oh some, yeah yeah sometimes you do it over a three groove like you're right. talking about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, where did what influenced that little thing? um just, yeah i mean it's it's just um it's another one of those kind of um um It's just one of those patterns that kind of, I don't know where I got that. It's, it's just, um, it's another way of me taking it out of blues-based guitar for a moment and kind of, to me in my head, I'm, I'm thinking Rick Wakeman or, or something like that. I'm thinking Moog, you know, I'm going, okay, I don't want to sound like a guitar here. What's the most... <laughs> You know, it's they're very un guitar like they're linear in that, you know. And like it sounds cool when you also do it over the triple meter, like what what's an example of a groove that I might play underneath that's um like what key Well I usually do it over like four four, right? So it's But I, Yeah. If you just do that and it
trying to I'm this this thing you do also where I guess maybe the groove would be three. Yeah. And then you still do the fours. Is that what you know what I'm talking about? I messed it up now. I heard you got me back and forth. <laughs> See, One, now you got me thinking about it. I'll never get I, it. <laughs> I love to do that. I like, yeah. Who's the keyboardist of Asia? I would take all this, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, right. Is that Jeff Downs? Right. All this stuff. I just love these beautiful keyboard melodies. Jeffrey Downs, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's played keyboards on the most recent Billy Idol record. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It all comes together. Yeah. Well, it's Trevor, it's Trevor Horn's buddy. They were the Buggles, those two guys. So. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a small world. Now, every time I see you play the Top Gun theme, mm. you never seem to play it in the key that I thought it was. I thought it was down in C at the beginning. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, just rec- I recently just introduced that into Billy Idol show. We just started doing a bit of that, and it's it's just great because I've never done it in a Billy Idol show, and, and fans love it. They immediately go, "Yeah, you're the guy that did it." You know, it's great. Yeah, and um, it's- as a music nerd, it's the hard one of the most difficult modulations is from a major key to a major key, like a tritone away, or, or yeah. It's a, he jumps up a tritone and it sounds so natural. Yeah, I don't know how it's something in the chording yeah. that he's done. Being, and then he just drops down. Right. It's a trip how it works that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but it's all yeah. about the orchestration that he's done behind. I mean, he's brilliant. Harold's brilliant. I know you were going to be at the Grammys when you were nominated because right. you were performing with Billy that night. That's right, yeah, yeah. And they were doing the Instrumental Pop Award, I think is what you won. That's right, yeah. That day, because sometimes they film parts of it in the day. Or, exactly, know. exactly. What's that moment, man? It's like four in the afternoon or something, hey. all of a sudden you got a <laughs> Grammy. What's that? I thought it was funny, you know? I, th- I just thought it was funny because we were... Uh, the other people that were in the category that were nominated were like Doc Severinsen, who was the band leader on the Johnny Carson show. And I just thought it was funny. And, and I didn't think we would win. And, but Harold kept saying, we're going to win this. We're going to win this thing. I'm telling you, man, it's the biggest. Everybody knows it's the biggest movie. You know, he knows that world, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just like, it was just a, 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 a cool day because, you know, I was there to perform with 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 Idol, and then you win this thing in the afternoon, and you're just like, wow, you know, that don't suck. All right, well, cool. This has been amazing for me as a fan of guitar oh, thank and fan you, of uh, my pleasure. Before, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's a uh, still the best rock guitar magazine. <laughs> so you know, well, we certainly appreciate you doing this. And uh, before we go, I'd love it if you would uh, tell us a little bit about your Nags guitar and maybe some of the other gear you're, you've got yeah. going. Yeah. Um, well, Peter Wolf is is the uh, partner at Nags, and Peter was the guy that I worked with in the, back in the Hamer days, and um, and uh, and Peter was always really cool to me, and and I enjoyed working with him. And uh, you know, I got a call out of the blue. I had seen one of the Nags in one of the magazines, and thought, oh, that's kind of a cool thing, you know. And uh, Peter contacted me. Would I be interested? And they sent me uh, one of their guitars, and I said, yeah, I like it, but. 
if I, if I, if I, if it was my guitar, I would do this, you know. And he said, well, we'll do that. And they, they did three or four modifications, and, they, and, and then I realized I had a PRS that I really loved, and, uh, and, and they found out that Joe Nags was the guy who built that guitar, and I said, oh, okay. Um, and they ne- there was never a time when I asked uh, for something, and they said, well, I don't know if we can do that. I love the fact that it's an American company. I'm supporting American workers. Yes, it's an expensive instrument. We were very aware of that. But you get what you pay for, and if you to me a guitar, I used to always get have this thing with my dad because he'd buy these cheap tools. My dad had a tool thing, and me and my brother, and the tools would break. He'd have to buy another one, but and finally my brother go and get Sears tools because they had a lifetime guarantee. They cost more, but you got them. You know they're going to work, and it's just been ingrained in me. To, you know, you could own this instrument for the rest of your life. You could hand it down to your kid if 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 it is an instrument you fall in love with, um, and. And uh, I just like the idea that basically they didn't have any celebrity guitar players. You know, I'd been approached by other big manufacturers and just thought, well, I'm going to get lost in the shuffle. And they also want to do a lower price version of the guitar that I wouldn't play. And uh, I can't ask people to buy an instrument that I wouldn't play. And it's got my name on it. So I'm happy to do, we did a limited run of the first Steve Stevens model, and um, part of the proceeds go to Music Cares, which helps mu- musicians in recovery. And I just thought, there's this nothing bad about doing this guitar. And we, we, uh, we did a Steve Stevens 2 version. I wanted a bit more of a headstock angle, like a Les Paul or something. And there's ne- never a time when anyone at the con- company, like I said, said, well, I don't know, you know, or, you know, <clears throat> concerning the next stock ha- angle, people are reticent to do that because it's a stress point and you could get guitars in for repair. I said, look, if you're going to spend that kind of money on a guitar and you're dumb enough to leave it where it's going to break, you know, come on, you know, you, you're going to take care of that guitar. So, I, you know, I've owned Les Paul since, since uh, you know, I was 15 years old and I had one that some knucklehead knocked off a stand and then headstock cracked and guitar was fine after we repaired it so uh, I think there's an inherent sound in that so we brought out a third version which is an SSC which is a is to me the best best version of the guitar and that's what I play live now and, and sure is good looking too it's like the and shapes uh, and Joe's the guy who you know those guitars are built by Joe you know you know, you yeah. can go online and see that, that he cuts the binding himself. I mean, I can't say enough good things about them. Great people, great American company. And then I have an Amplifier with, with Dave Friedman. Once again, it's an American company, uh, you know, handmade Amplifier, and it's become... I, I get emails from people that have used it on very popular records now, and it's just... It started as a... You know, I brought Dave Friedman, who's... Uh, rack systems who's done my gear now for 20 years I brought him one of my my favorite marshals and I said is there a way that we could make an amplifier I said I don't want to bring this vintage amp out this is the amp that's been on Top Gun and Rebel Yell and all this stuff I said I don't want to bring this out on the road what is that amp it's a, a 69 plexi Marshall plexi I said is there a way we could copy this amp but give it more gain a little bit more bottom and put a master volume in it because that amp doesn't have a master and that was the the, the birth of the, the Friedman amp for me it's now, wait a second how did you get all that gain out of that 69 plexi like, turn it all the way up 
any mods or anything? No, stock, stock is like stock. When you're doing the Top Gun or the. Um, I used a Boss sustain pedal with it, not a distortion, because right. I've never really liked distortion pedals. Um, I like boost pedals, you know, but uh, but we used a, a Boss compressor system, a, a little, little blue, blue one. Yeah, little blue one. Mm-hmm. Straight yeah, that's in, it. Straight, straight into, into the front. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. So, because the, the guitar sound, I mean, so much of it is miking, you know. Uh, yeah. You've got to have a good engineer, you know, right, right. to begin with and and, uh, and know how to mic it. And, and then, you you know, those amps are, those older Marshalls are pretty gainy, but that was the thing, you know, uh, with, with Friedman. I said, I need an amp that'll sound like that, but can't be that loud. And hence started this whole thing, which ended up as the, the SS version of the amp, which is what I, Great I use. Great yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I've toured with that amp now, the, the exact one. I've, I've got two of them, but the one that I play live with six years now, I think, you know. Does and, he make your cabs too? Or? Yeah, cabs now and all set- my effects, everything Dave does, yeah. Are you, you're not running that loudly on stage, you're saying, these days? Like um, no, medium I, loud. well, I have a wet, dry, wet system, and the two, the two wet cabinets are off stage. So, uh, as I mentioned, we're all on in-ears now. So uh-huh. I've got one center cabinet, but I hear a mix in my yeah. ears. So. Any effects you care to mention that you're using these days? Um, let's see here, what effects? I mean, it's kind of like, I used to use like an Eventide Harmonizer and stuff, but I've gone off that for... Uh, I use yeah. a lot of different effects here at home, but um, Pigtronics have been really good uh, and supportive, and uh, and J Rocket pedals as well. I, I, I yeah, like those. yeah, those are really good. They have their, uh, I guess everybody has a Klon <laughs> uh, yeah. version, but they have one called the. Oh, he's going to kill me for not remembering the name of it. Um, but their version of the Klon is what I used as a as a boost pedal, and it's not a distortion; it's just like yeah. a nice little boost pedal. It's the here. front of the amp a little harder. Yeah, exactly for solos and things like that. Yeah, yeah. and, and I'm sure I'm leaving some some other companies out. But Boss Roland. Yeah, um, all of my guitar synth. I still use the old Roland guitar synth that I've used for. 10 years now uh not the gr55 it's the gr30 i think it is they've got some new synths out that are supposed to be pretty yeah i mean this is all rolling stuff here in in the studio but um but the uh the synth i don't know i've just it's just like if it for for my guitar synth i don't need it to track i use it for pads and string pads and things like that so i don't need the tracking to be that spot on i just need uh you know, good. Uh, I, I need it to be easy. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got enough stuff up there to worry about. You know, and the pickups are, are bare knuckles. Uh, I'm, I, I read about bare knuckles pickups out of the UK a long time ago, and uh, Tim Mills came. I invited him to a Billy Idol show about ten years ago, and um, and I love the fact that you know he couldn't find, he couldn't source the parts <clears throat> that he needed for his pickup, so he found original magnet makers and you know small companies that were barely surviving and they're now thriving because of bare knuckles and um and from the i ordered <clears throat> i ordered a set just online i think and uh, i didn't even say like i'm steve stevens or anything i just ordered him because i'd read an interview with him and i thought well i like what he's got to say about it and the first set i ordered was a set of mules which are like their <clears throat> excuse me humbucker yeah. set and um and uh, I loved them. I just loved the the fact that they kind of sounded uh, acoustically. They 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 
the sound of the guitar was transferred through the pickup, whereas with a lot of high-gain pickups, you're hearing the pickup and not the guitar anymore. So um, I like the, the sound of an amplified guitar, and that's what, what those pickups were for me. Oh. And strings, Ernie Ball, it's been that way for forever. And, uh, and Dunlop, a lot of Dunlop effects that, that I use on, on the road and stuff, so... Vortex picks from Dunlop. Dunlop. This is a great yeah, pick, man. Yeah. You yeah, this photo is, on one side. Yeah, we've done, uh, you know, Scott Ochita, who everybody knows, who's Scott, totally. uh, over at Dunlop has been, I mean, I, uh, you know, the fact is you can get strings and picks and parts and things like that. That's what really becomes important because, yeah. you know, the gear takes a lot of wear and tear. Um, I had a weird thing happen, <clears throat> which was, you know, these guitar boats, think, these are things that happen on the road you never would think of, right? We have those guitar boats where you put eight uh, guitars in them, and they're held by Velcro s- straps. So our gear was shipped over to Australia, it was a heat wave, and, the, and they sat, the gear sat in the, in the um, uh, container? Exactly, on the Shit. dock for about three or four days in intense heat. And when I took my guitars out of this, the, uh, the boat the velcro straps had melted into the necks of all my guitars and you don't think of this kind of stuff but that's the kind of wear and tear i had to send my guitars because i'd be playing and you'd hear, you'd feel these kind of divots in your neck so from weird. where it had melted into the into the neck um so it's really important to get parts and and no matter where you are because stuff you know on stage it could be 110 degrees and you're loading it into a truck that's maybe goes you know if you're playing in the winter time or whatever it's going to drop drastically guitars go out of tune uh things break yeah. from the severe uh change in weather so um that's why it's, you know it's important to have good gear you know because i don't want to have to worry about i don't want to have to get a call from my tech you know going shit's not working man <laughs> you know that's the word feeling in the world all right, one last thing. What's the craziest like Spinal Tap moment, or what's the most funny thing that ever happened on stage with Idol or or, or anyone? Uh, well, one was during Rebel Yell. <clears throat> Some girl had managed to figure out we were playing a theater in Jer- New Jersey, and she had figured out how to get somehow. She knew the the the, the floor plan of the of the building or something. She got herself up through the air conditioning duct and came crashing through. You know, she knew what dressing room we'd be in. Came. Cr- Girl comes crashing through the air conditioning duct. <laughs> All right, who wants a blowjob? <laughs> like, nah, I don't think so, darling. Whoa. But uh, yeah, that was. Uh, how did you know? I was just. I said, you know what? I don't want a blowjob. But how did you know where we were? How do you know where we were? I guess she had done it before. What she a, she knew where the where the band was. That was pretty pretty. What an opening line yeah. after such an entrance. Yeah, you yeah, already yeah. have their attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was, we had a, uh, an attractive. This is how weird weird. We had an attractive female keyboard player for a number of years, Judy Dozier, and you know our videos got showed a lot on MTV and stuff, and so. Uh, at one point, we were playing, and some guy is in front of Judy carving his arm, like, saying, I love you. Like, weird, like it really freaked her out. Like, you know, like, really weird. Like, fans sometimes take it a little too far. That was pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. I mean, all, of course, it's, still, you know, usual. I did party with Rick James. I got to put that nice. out there. I mean, you didn't live in the 80s unless you partied with Rick James. Yeah. Uh, we haven't even touched all the people you've worked yeah, with. Yeah. 
Johnny Mitchell, yeah. Thompson Twins, yeah, so yeah. many. I mean, it's crazy. All right, one quick thing about Thompson Twins. I played Live Aid with them, and it was the first big public thing I did outside of Billy Idol, and I was nervous that people would know who I am. You know, I'm thinking, so Tom Bailey from Thompson Twins, before we went on, says, all right, I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to say, you know, and from Billy Idol. Is it okay if I say Billy? Yeah, sure, okay. From Billy Idol, Steve Stevens on guitar. Like, okay, that'd be nice. So I walk out. Before he's even introduced me, I walk out on stage, and the place goes crazy. Now, this is at JFK Stadiums, 90,000 people. I mean, the place goes yeah, nuts. I've seen videos. It's you know, And I'm like, Wow. I didn't know I was that famous. And I just looked to my left, and Madonna had walked out at the same time. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, you had your moment for a second. I'm sure you yeah. had many yeah. other moments anyway. Yeah. Well, let's, you want to play for two seconds? Yeah, Anything? sure. What, 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 what All right, let's we? take it out of something. And, uh, well, we've done a blues thing, so... something Steve said reminded me of when we were 18 and we had the rehearsal spot in the arts warehouse right near the base of the San Francisco Bay Bridge, the bridge heading over to San Francisco from Emeryville. It was one of those buildings, you know, three or four stories, artists and sculptors everywhere, huge gravel parking lot, all the parking you could ever dream of, freight elevator. Down the hall from us was Dancing Dog Studios where David Bryson was about to form Counting Crows and sell a bazillion records. Across the way from this warehouse, man, it was this crazy, like, metal recycling plant where they'd take huge piles of metal and, and lift them up in the sky with, like, a magnet, I think. You know, this is like a cartoon. They'd hoist it over into this huge crucible of hot lava and melt it down, and it would all explode. And then they'd pour the hot lava down, and out would come red-hot bars of rebar, you know, the stuff they use in concrete to make... The walls stay up. Wow, that was a whole scene, man. Those buildings, that whole area. You know it's there now. In Ikea, a multiplex movie theater, and a little fancy mall with like an Apple store and a Barnes & Noble and a couple restaurants and probably a Hot Topic. I guess real estate prices really escalated. That meant that, of course, all the artists and the musicians forced out it's like that, you know, in San Francisco, L.A., New York, 
And, um, well, I hope that there are other scenes, and if there are, please let us know about it on the No Guitar is Safe Facebook page. Speaking of other scenes, man, I stopped by a true arts warehouse in Reading, Pennsylvania, where this cool band called Grexen is, like, rehearsing and doing their bluegrass tunes or Americana tunes, and they got it, man. They got the room. They got it all decked out. They got the PA in there. It's on the third floor. Maybe there's a broken window, but who cares? You got the scene, man. They're paying just $200 a month, and there's artists everywhere around them. Maybe that's the new scene. I don't know. You tell me, but it was really refreshing to see that. You know, big spooky warehouse. Some floors are just pitch black and dark staircases, but you don't care. What's a few ghosts in haunted, kind of like goblin corners when, when you've got a place to practice? I was reminded of this, of course, when Steve Stevens talked about their loft that they had. You know, they had Cindy Lopper on the right or whatever, and the dead boys downstairs, all future legends like Steve himself, all coming up. You know that warehouse has been converted to something much more profitable nowadays. But hey, not to dwell on the past, dwell on the future. I'd love to meet with Steve again and talk some more stuff, like his years with Hamer. And maybe he worked with Joel Danzig, who I'm a huge fan of, who probably built those guitars that he used on those early Billy Idol hit songs, the uh, Hamer SS models. Joel deserves a podcast episode all his own, I think. Well, time to sign off, man. My name is Jude Gold. Thanks again, as always, to GuitarPlayer.com and Guitar Player Magazine and Bill Amstutz and Michael Melinda, who are both big shots over there. God bless you guys for bringing this podcast to you, the listeners, who I thank most of all. Also, as always, a shout out to Zoom for the H6 handy recorder that I use on all these helicopter missions. And as Joe Satriani said in episode one, keep it alive till you're 95.